0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads
1: Art Week.
2: Nick Runyon is an accomplished marketing executive with more than 20 years of experience developing and implementing marketing strategies. His latest endeavor as the CMO of PFL.com might be his biggest undertaking yet. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Nick details how coming into an organization as a CMO with a fresh set of eyes can be beneficial to the growth of the marketing department. Plus, he explains why you should never call your customers' clients, and why personalized, well-orchestrated experiences across all channels can mean endless possibilities. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
3: Here is your host, Ian Faison.
1: Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest. Nick, what's going on? How are you? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Well, we, um, both of us have a hot day later on to go fishing in different parts of the world. But in the interim, we're going to be talking a bunch of marketing. Uh, we're going to talk marketing automation, everything that's going on at PFL and your background. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing in the first place?
0: You know, my kids asked me the other day what my first job was. And uh, when I was, I'm going to go all the way back. When I was 12 years old, uh, my dad would pay me uh, a nickel to put, he had a, a local business. And he had these door hangers. He paid me a nickel if I would put a door hanger uh, on a door, you know. And so he gave me a, a whole stack. And on Saturday, my brother and I would canvass these neighborhoods. Um, one day after school, we were killing time in the back of the shop. And I found like a supply catalog. And they had these door hanger plastic bags with the, the doorknob hole was pre-punched in it. And I was like, I started thinking if my dad's going to pay me for that, I've I've got a bunch of other friends at school, their dad's own businesses and moms and dads will give me these, uh, you know, flyers to put into this paper, uh, this plastic bag. So that bag became worth about 15 cents a piece. And we just started, uh, marketing to these different neighborhoods and made enough money to buy rollerblades. And then we like doubled our, our, we made thousands of dollars that summer. And, uh, I don't know. Maybe I think it's funny, but I've been in marketing ever since. It's just uh, every job that I've I've had since then, even like hourly jobs through college and stuff, always kind of leaning towards the the marketing aspect, the signage, copy, and and then you know when I got a professional career, I kind of talked my way into a Google Ads uh, position, and then just kind of went from there.
1: And so, flash forward to today, what does it mean to be CMO of PFL? Uh, I think it means you have to be nimble. The
0: marketing technology stacks, um, what's possible, what's working, what's not working. That stuff is changing so rapidly. I talked my way into a Google AdWords job early in my career. I did that by kind of laying out this argument that stuff changes so quickly. All I have to do, I didn't have any experience, my boss didn't want to put me in that role, but I convinced him all I have to do is learn and apply faster than the competition. And we'll win. And you don't have to pay me as much because I don't have the experience. And I didn't know it at the time, but I think that that really carries through all of the different marketing teams that I led and is that nimbleness is a major factor uh, in my day-to-day role as a CMO today.
1: And for those of our listeners who don't know, uh, can you share more about PFL? Yeah, PFL
0: um, got its start as an online printing company. So uh, we were actually one of the first way back in the day to figure out how to take any file type and produce it on um, a printing press. Today, we are a marketing technology SaaS company. Uh, it might seem like quite a pivot or a leap between those two things. The more I learned about PFL over the last couple of years, the, uh, I became really fascinated with this idea of blending the digital and physical for greater marketing effectiveness. And that's what we do for our customers today is we help them deliver remarkable brand experiences by combining their digital marketing efforts with physical direct mail, or we like to call it tactile marketing Um, automation is what our software does. So it's been, I joined as CMO uh, in Q4 of last year, uh, and then we've had a crazy Front half of 2020 since then, but it's been uh, um, it's been really fun to uh, kind of dive in um, to this new product, this new category, and really try to understand what some of the best marketers in the world are doing to blend those experiences uh, for their customers.
1: Yeah, so let's get into that. Like, what are some of the best marketers in the world, you know, doing on your platform? And obviously, um, you know, your platform integrates with. Uh, things like Salesforce and, and pretty much any, any marketing automation or CRM platform that that folks are using out there. Um, but it, you know, this is clearly a time where, you know, eyeballs are at a premium. Uh, everything is, is, uh, you know, automation is becoming more and more important for folks not to, to get left behind. What are some of those best practices?
0: Um, We've done a lot of work recently with Matthew Sweezy, uh, at Salesforce, not directly, you know, business to
1: business, yeah. but just kind of we collaborating. The show. Yeah,
0: yeah. I love that
1: guy. Yeah. Um, he's great. Great book. Should read Matt's book. If you haven't already context, yeah, marketing revolution.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's a, a worthy plug there. And if you do read that, it's all about delivering context and experience and, um, he has an excellent podcast too. I talked to him the other day. I said, "Hey, what else you know should I be consuming?" He's like, "Well, selfishly, I have this uh, what is it electronic propaganda uh, podcast, and I listened to the whole thing in like two days because I was fascinated by this idea that we've shifted into experience um, and context and personalization at a one to one level. But then, how do you do that for a major company like Salesforce or?" or Zoom or, you know, any of the big customers that we have, um, how do you deliver a one-to-one experience at scale? And it's been really incredible to see what, uh, some of these people are doing. So like, um, Salesforce, for example, let's do that. If Salesforce sees that, uh, user or customer goes through their trailblazer, uh, certification, um, that digital signal gets pulled in and we're able to, um, use information out of, uh, their Salesforce in order to completely personalize and deliver some Salesforce swag. It's a kit that has a congratulatory note. It's, uh, um, you know, there's props in there for like online class pictures and, and, um, trailblazer hoodies and all kinds of stuff. We can pick, uh, specific pieces out of a Salesforce inventory, put that together in a kit and deliver it to that user in a one-off highly personalized experience. But the whole thing's automated based on digital signals of certification completion or or whatever the case may be. I I think one of the most exciting and fun things is you can dream up kind of any experience that you want to deliver. And then you just start to pick that apart and say, okay, how are we going to to build this together and and deliver it at scale so that every single person that's receiving this this touch point is having really an incredible brand experience. And then the best marketers are using that not just to like send swag, but to actually drive metrics and to create meetings booked, to drive customer retention, you know, to increase renewals for SaaS products, whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah. And what are, what are some of those experiences? What are the things that are working best?
0: I think one thing that's been really interesting um, as everybody shifted to work from home, or many people have, um, some of your prospects might be dispersed. People are no longer in the office. And so, Uh, We ourselves had to think, how are we going to handle this? Um, And we worked through those problems with with our customers as well. Zoom's a great customer; we do a ton of work with uh, Austin over there on that team. uh, A brilliant marketer. Uh, One of the things that we've uh, worked on together is how do you, uh, as a lot of people have come on to Zoom, they have an interest in retaining them as paid customers. You know, so a lot of people sign up for the free service. How do you move them to paid? How do you uh, retain the people that have paid, even beyond? Whatever the future holds, and figuring out how do you do, how do you create an experience that's engaging, valuable, um, but also accounts for things like you know preferred address, uh, knowing that people might not be in the office. So uh, we worked with Zoom to create custom landing pages and links to those landing pages that their their sales team can send out uh, on a one off basis, and so they'll send a link to a customer. Um, that they're interested in retaining or just uh, helping to understand what they can achieve through upgrading to a paid service offering, Um, that landing page will allow the customer to um, choose a number of different items, uh, which I think is pretty cool. So they've got, uh, like in this case, they've got customized Yeti drinkware. You can put your name on it. They've got, you know, video conferencing things like webcams and, and mics and headphones that, you know, depending on kind of the level of customer or what that relationship warrants. And then um, people can self-select, create their preferred address, uh, and then deliver this uh, PFL kind of kits and delivers this experience on their behalf. And one of the things about our software that nobody else does is we give that sales rep then a timely delivery notification. So they'll know within 15 minutes of when that package has been delivered, that it's there. And you can have a true kind of multi-channel experience. So you've got the, the digital element, you've got this physical tactile piece that gets delivered, and then a face-to-face Zoom call or a phone call that's timed with the delivery of the package just to say, hey, we're really thankful for you. And uh, we'd love to talk to you a little bit about how you can do even more with Zoom if uh, you know we explore these upgraded plans. So the sky's the limit. And what we've seen is because that, kind of multi true multi-channel and timed experience is so unique. Some of the response rates have been incredible. You know, we've lived our lives as marketers dealing with fractions of a percentage. You know, can I move one or two points or this ad copy, you know, increased our email reply rate by three points and that's a, you know, blow the doors off success. But we're seeing kind of these quantum leaps in response rates uh, when you orchestrate and and coordinate those activities together, which is pretty exciting. Something we geek out on quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we, we live in such, I mean, especially with, with everything that happens with the code, we live in such a, uh, you know, a delivery world now mm-hmm. that the fact that you can send personalized things to people is so cool. And the fact that like, you know, sales, reps or the sales team can really plug into what marketing is doing. Be Like, wait, no, they love, uh, they love, you know, Alabama, you should get them, you know, an Alabama koozie or whatever it is. And, you know, some people, some people don't like that stuff. And we've had folks like that, uh, you know, you've seen them where they're like, you know, I have Alabama in my profile and everybody always sends me Alabama stuff. And it's like, I, you know, I, would say the number of people who don't like getting presents, uh, or who can't find them to give away to people is probably, uh, 0.1%. So for everybody else out there, uh, you know, getting stuff, it's, um, something physical that's relevant, that's personalized to what they're interested in. Um, it shows that your marketing team or your sales team is thinking about them and, uh, and values their business. And like, that's a good place to be. And it's a lot different than, you know, sales and marketing teams that constantly try to distract or, you know, waste people's time um, and not show that they're thoughtful or or thinking about that person.
0: I think you're making a great point there. I think that the thoughtfulness, you know, some Alabama swag matched up to uh, Alabama alumni is a great kind of entry point. Uh, What's important to remember is that I think that what's in the box is not going to be what's going to close the deal. What we're finding is that really kind of the core foundational principles of marketing, like content and delivering value and, you know, right person, place, time, um, product, helping people understand that further experience with you is going to be worth their time that's still really key. and so one of the things that we are always encouraging our customers to do is yes, let's make the personalized based on digital intent signals or whatever the case may be. let's make the personalized offerings and we can do those, you know, on scales of 1 or or to a million. and let's make sure that in the middle of all of that that you're helping people understand where do we go from here? you know, why is it going to be worth my time to answer the phone whenever you call or to Uh, retain next year? Or what can you help me do to be successful? Those are some of the things that we're really um, digging into. And I think those are the elements that we see that are adding the most value and having the biggest impact.
2: Well, and I
1: think that The point of this, and I I say this all the time, like marketing is meant to be remarkable, which means you actually have to talk about it with someone else, right? And a lot of, especially in in B2B, you're trying to generate conversations. You're not trying to generate like, uh, like that idea of just like, you know awareness. Well, what is, what is awareness of a product? If all four people all know about your product, but they never actually discuss it when it's time to make a solution. Um, like that's really what you want. And if you have something like, whether it's something physical or whatever it is, that's living in the room, that is a conversation starter. It's like, Hey, you know, where'd you, uh, it's like, Hey, I went to, uh you know the well I guess nobody goes to concerts right now but um you know I went to this concert or this sporting event or or you know I played golf here or I you know got this Patagonia and it was courtesy of this company. It's like there's a reason why sales leverages those type of tactics. Um it's because it works because mm-hmm. like it's not and it's not like as we mentioned it's not really in the in the gift giving but it's about creating a story around these, your company, how you do business, how you get treated and making you feel like you're, you're spending the right money, uh, with them. Cause you know that they're going to take care of you. And I think that for so long, those were just sales items. Like those are things that just sales could do. Sales had the box suite tickets, sales had whatever. Well, now we have a distributed environment. Um, we can't go to concerts. You can't do these things. And, 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 uh, and marketing with personalization and tools like PFL, you have, you know, the ability to do stuff like this at scale when perhaps you didn't, you weren't able to do that in the past.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, one of the most, I think, one of the most clever campaigns that I've seen is uh, with a cybersecurity company. And when you think about cybersecurity software, that's a really tough sale. What you're delivering is a product that keeps you as close to 100% secure, um, as possible. And all of your competition has the exact same value proposition, you know? So how do you differentiate? Um, a customer of ours was delivering uh, a package to CTOs and decision makers within an organization. And inside that they had their marketing message on a card that was personalized and were able to, you know, in stream, personalize that. So yours says Ian and mine says Nick and you know, all these things, but, there was also uh, invisible ink used to create a message on that card. And then inside the box was a UV light pin. And when you, you know, put the two together, you can read the message. And the marketing message was so incredible. It said, you miss 100% of the opportunities that you can't see. And I think what a differentiator in a, in a cybersecurity software space to be able to say, we're out in front of everybody else. We see... Uh, your vulnerabilities, and we'll help you solve those. Um, it's those kinds of conversations that you're referencing that I think about all the time. It's like, oh, that's uh, those are great ideas. I think one of the the funnest aspects of this job is just see um, what all these different teams are coming up with, and uh, really how clever and creative people are. You know, recently that's taken a very kind of helpful, benevolent, um, caring tone as well, which I think is uh, totally appropriate. Um, and it's been, I don't know, it's created some feel good moments for us on our team.
1: I know that this isn't always the solution, especially if you're not like in enterprise B2B or something like that. This doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, but I think it's it's worth the conversation to have and say like, obviously there's like, you know, mid funnel ads that, you know, we'll, we'll say, so not, the, not some of the lower funnel, like Google AdWords stuff, but if you're going to say some certain types of Facebook ads or things like that, that are, you know, for gaining, um, you know, getting people into the funnel, if you're doing that sort of thing versus, and the amount of spend that you're going to put towards a, a targeted group of individuals versus something that's a little bit more thoughtful. Again, one is going to be, I mean, I don't know any CTOs or CIOs that like are hammering on, you know, display ads right and left. Uh, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure, I mean, getting them around them is important and getting, you know, that, uh, that top of mind is definitely, you know, having it be top of mind is important, but you know, in terms of like click, click through rates, I, I don't think that those are very high. We've run a bunch, uh, for this show in fact. Um, so we know that, but, um, but I just think that the rethinking the relationship that you have with those folks and trying to figure out a way to be memorable in a sea of products that are extremely competitive is really hard and it takes creativity and it takes, you know, a length of campaign. And I think that, um, we don't do we've we've gone so far in the physical or in the in the digital world that like sometimes we forget about some of those tactics in in the physical world that can have much more of of an impact uh long term
0: I think you're absolutely right, and it's um pieces of a whole picture as well um you know when we have conversations all the time about as I know you do about marketing technology stacks and um the same's true on like demand gen, for example, you know, you've got um, different aspects of the buyer journey, you're trying to cover all your bases, really coordinating um, those pieces is becoming incredibly important. It hasn't published yet. I haven't even seen the draft actually, but we're uh, in the process of completing our second annual multi-channel marketing survey and early results are confirming what we saw last year. I'm going to use ballpark numbers here because, like I said, I haven't seen the exact data yet, but um, I think it's 83% of CMOs are reporting this year that um, multi-channel efforts lead to greater results. And when those efforts are coordinated and you have an orchestrated uh, experience across the channels, results are exponential and whatever, like on the, the buyer journey side and with customer retention, you know, trying to drive those results within the customer journey as well everything can be fractured uh, from time to time, like with um, the customer experience. One of the things that we've done uh, as I've come into the team here is started reviewing some of our paid ad spend and our display ad campaigns and that kind of thing. I mean, I'll be honest, uh, the review began uh, recently because of budget. We're just like, okay, we're going to look at everything. We kind of made this blanket statement and said, let's make sure that if we're spending money, uh, what's what's the return? And as I'm sure a lot of, CMOs and people are uh, exploring their balance sheets right now. We were also hunting for opportunities. Like where can I shift some of this in towards uh, some of the spend towards other activities? Um, We took a full stop on display advertising simply for the purpose uh, or because I couldn't tell with certainty that it was yielding the results that um, we were attributing to it. And so it was um, kind of, a troubling decision. You know, I said, well, let's just shut it off for a month and see what happens. The result was that our inbound traffic had very, very little change. And that was curious to us. And when we went back and looked at it, we realized this has just kind of been a sleeper area of our marketing mix for a while. And we hadn't, hadn't reviewed it. It was kind of on autopilot, uh, to be honest. And we realized that the lack of coordination in that channel was leading to Essentially zero uh, benefit, so we were able to take some of that spend and redirect it. But uh, in the meantime, we're doing kind of a complete overhaul and trying to look at it from a customer's perspective with fresh eyes and say, okay, if I'm going to be you know interrupted by display advertising with PFL branding on it, what type of experience is going to be valuable for our customers? What would need to be included there for them to pay attention to it? And so I think. You know, we see this ripple effect as we look at the coordination across different channels and different activities. What I hope to see from our team is that we learn from that and we start to really knit together a more full experience for our customers that is valuable. Um, It goes beyond advertising and marketing to, let me help you today and let me tell you how I can help you tomorrow. And over time, let's build a long-term relationship uh, that makes you very successful.
1: Yeah. So you touched on a little bit, but what do you think was making that campaign not as successful as, that, as it could have been?
0: I think it's just really kind of lack of focus or uh, consideration of the customer experience. I mean, display advertising, um, search engine marketing, uh, we've done that stuff for years. And it's not the first place that you think uh, when you try to drive results uh, in an ABM strategy. But what we found was our lack of really kind of focus on it was just leading to this always on campaign that was really ineffective. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, if we can save a few thousand dollars uh, a month by just shutting it off and redirecting that or, or rebuilding it, we want to do that in a way that's not only benefiting us, but actually adding value to our customers as well. We've been ignoring it just for too long. This is the real problem there.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just a great um it's a great look at, you know, how important the audit is uh to figure out, you know, what are those things that that make that make that difference. Um any other things that as you've come on as a CMO have been surprising for you or uh or things that you didn't didn't necessarily see coming? I think coming into a company
0: um with fresh eyes is always kind of a huge advantage. There's also a honeymoon period that ends, you know, it does not last forever. And uh, I've made changes like that a few times in in my career in the past. And I think even so, I was surprised by how quickly you kind of become almost myopic, you know, when you're looking at your own activities. But um, one of the things that I think I was most surprised by, to answer your question, is how much benefit we received just from kind of a fundamental review of our ABM strategy, you know, beginning with ideal customer profile. And so, you know, that's an early step. You read all the books and uh, and it, you know, always talks about identifying your ICP first and and then really targeting those accounts. Well, I had the opportunity to do kind of a review of our customer base, um, our sales strategy, where we were getting most results from. 64% of our revenue was coming um, from customers that had a certain profile and look, but our activity was extending way beyond um, that customer segment. And so very quickly, we refined our focus and we said, we're, we're going to focus on these brands and these accounts and this type of profile within those accounts and marketers you know, in demand gen and um, the customer journey that are really facing these certain challenges. And once we kind of redefined that for our team, we became much more efficient, much more effective uh, very quickly. And it was nice to see. Um, and frankly, I was surprised by how fast that focus became a force multiplier for our team. That is also short lived. And so what do you do next? And you just start to build off of that. Um, we've, we've done things like just review top to bottom things like brand framework our our customer journey our buyer journey our um, different channels uh, within each of those are we measuring correctly uh, do we have gaps in our measurement so really kind of just building a strong foundation but it's surprising to me how effective some of those fundamental activities have been and makes me think about how important it is to just review and renew
1: those when appropriate, but um, on a fairly regular basis. I want to switch gears to a marketing agency. Um, so you founded a marketing agency, and I'm curious, like, why did you do that?
0: It was very opportunistic, <laughs> to be honest. We've had the privilege of doing some big projects with a small number of customers, and I think that that's been some of my best work personally and, you know, some of our best work as a team when you can really go deep uh, with customers and understand how can I, how can I help you be successful? And often that looks like integrating as a part of your team um, in one way or another. I think that uh, one of the things that I've loved about that experience is when you hear that type of language come back to you, you know where I've been introduced uh, in meetings and board meetings or whatever the case may be as part of our team. You know, it's not my marketing agency. It's uh, this is Nick and his team. There, they oversee this for us. So um, that's that's been nice, super rewarding. But I, I mean, the way I got into that was really just kind of opportunity. It's like I see how this could be better let's do this for you. And um, when you do good work, word spreads. It's given me a different perspective, maybe is the right way to talk about it, coming into PFL. Because I think with our, um, like our tactile marketing automation customers, it's a bit different from direct mail uh, and enough so that um, sometimes we find that companies, even the biggest brands are just having trouble starting. So we've really started to explore what's it look like to build, uh, you know, full agency services, build that out within our organization in order to uh, help achieve greater acceleration and profitability for our customers. So um, that mindset of how can I be a part of your team and help you be successful has been really beneficial for us.
1: Yeah, we, we joke on the show that uh, when it's somebody that you like, they're a partner. And then when you don't like them, yeah. they're a vendor. But I'm curious, like, how has it changed your, your vendor relationship as you've been on both sides of the table?
0: Uh, Yeah. I don't like vendor. I don't like the word client either. You know, we try to use the word customer. um,
1: Me too. Hey, really? I say say that. Yeah. I say the same thing. We have customers. We don't have clients. I don't like it. Well, so, and yeah, it's funny. I just always felt like, um, lawyers have clients and, and I know that some people like client, but it's like, a client, it's like, I'm not defending them. I'm not, you know, whatever. It's like, we, um, yeah, I think services, if you're in services, I think it's your, you have a customer. So uh, why do you, do? why do you feel that way? Uh,
0: It's exactly the same. Yeah. Um, lawyers, a great uh, example that most people will be able to relate to Like that's, it's transactional. I need you to do this for me now. And then when I, when you've done that job, we're done. And that's not the relationship that I want long-term with you. So what you said, I think nails it. Uh, It's that, that partner aspect, and people, here's the problem with words is people like throw them around all the time out of context. But um, you know, I was on a call the other day and we hosted um, a customer round table and it was really kind of a working group brought some of our best customers together with some of our, Customer success management team. And uh as the conversation started, some of our customers started saying things like, Charles, I can't wait till I can travel. Charles is one of our CSMs. Charles, I can't wait till we can travel again. Cause when I see you, I'm gonna give you a huge hug. That's not a client relationship. You know, that's a friendship, a partnership. We're building your business together. You can lean on me. Uh, and after this one's done, what's next? Like, where do we go from here? So I'm happy to hear you say that. I've said that to other people in the past and I kind of get a blank stare in return, but it sounds like you understand what I'm saying.
1: Totally. Well, here's the thing. I mean, and this is where I think people like misinterpret like business models and things like that. And like, what is the utility of what you're doing? Um, so for example, like if I'm making a podcast for someone and like, you know, we're not making a, two-episode podcast, right? It's something that like goes on and endures and like lives over a multi-year engagement, right? It's like a long-term thing. So similar to the way that services are, it's like a long-term engagement. I think the problem um, that we get into is that, you know, agencies got like huge and so bloated. And it's like the whole point of an agency was like, they have a specific skill set that, they can do for us that it's cheaper to pay them to do it than it is to hire all those people in-house And then if, you know, times get tough and we need to tighten the belt loop, we can cut that agency really easily and we don't have to like lay off a bunch of employees. Like it's a, it's a flexible, you can flex up and flex down based off of like what your priorities of effort are. And I think that when you have a huge bloated agency, you're actually just paying for like middle management because there's so many different things that go into that. Plus like paying on top of ad spend, which I've always feel like is freaking crazy. Like why would you, that's your margin? Like why would you pay? 10% on ad spend. And so I think that, you know, the the smart agencies figured out how or figure out how to be more of a services business that are around, you know, that do a specific thing that actually make it cheaper on the whole than it would be otherwise. And they acknowledge that like, hey, at some point, this is going to end. But you know, for the time being, we're a long-term partner that's going to be around. I just, it's, it's, I mean, is that how you see it as a CMO now or or am I off base? No, I, I think that's right on target. And actually, I mean, you brought up uh, the marketing agency
0: that I started and I don't even, I use that language because it just checks a box for people. It's, It's probably right context, but the deeper level is what you just described. So a lot of our work was focused around building processes and services to gain efficiencies where it, the net net benefit for my customer is that it's cheaper for them. And I also have margin, you know, so um, I've been on the customer side of those relationships as well. And then you walk into, you know, a room on the eighth floor of a building with the agency's name on the outside of it. And there's 30 people around the table for, you know, a three hour meeting about ad strategy and it's like, this is very, very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah, don't exactly. think it needs to be this way. It is coloring my the the picture of things at PFL as well.
1: But it's all a pass-through. That's the thing. It's like if you know like for my company, it's like every cost that you Are like everything is a pass through cost, right? So if you walk into a really nice agency, and this is like how things were done, right? You have this nice building (laughs) where all these nice people work, and it's a great place to work and all these things. But you realize, like, when that's your, when that's, um, when you're their client, you're just paying for their really nice building. <laughs> like that's what you're paying for is for them to have a really nice building. And I just don't think that it's going to be that way in the future. I just don't. I don't see how that makes sense financially. And you've seen the market. A bunch of CMOS cut agency spend because of that. It's like why are we paying all of this money for something that? And it's not about like in house or out of house. I think there is some of that stuff. I just think it's like if your utility is. Supposed to be a results-driven thing, then inherently you can't float this massive spend (laughs) that's in the middle of it. Um, So, uh, you know, and and for certain companies that have massive economies of scale, that works. If you have thirty-six brands, yeah, you then that you can work with agencies that support like your portfolio brands. But if you are like a single company with a single product, it's like why would you need to do that? It just doesn't necessarily make sense.
0: I think you nailed it. It's a value exchange. You know, if the return is there, then I, when people start, when I start complaining about buildings and staff around the table, uh, it's because my results aren't meeting my expectations. And I feel like I'm paying for something that I'm not getting. Um, Would I want to work with Saatchi and Saatchi and do television commercials that are like iconic? You know, of course who wouldn't, but you're, you're exactly right. You know, there's massive economies of scale at play there with um, some of the biggest brands that employ those. So I think what we're looking at is there's the reason why I'm exploring this internally at PFL is because I think we're dealing with agencies. So a brand will bring an agency in and you're doing kind of art design and, and, but there's a heavy lift on our side with um, an educational process. What I'm really interested in opening up um, as a conversation with our customers is just let me do all that for you. Like we're doing it all anyway. Uh, I'm going to give you more margin back and, you know, talk about a a true partnership. If I can put more dollars in your pocket. So on top of the return that you're already getting, it's going to be magnified. And that's something I'm very interested in doing. Unfortunately, some of my agency friends are going to get cut out of the process in that exchange.
1: But that, yeah, that is—you're totally right—and that is the case. I mean, I think websites is one of the clear ones with that, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like this is an add-on now for everybody, and it's like, I think that that was a lot of people's business model for a long time, right? And now it's like, you know, hey, we throw in the website, <laughs> like mm-hmm. because you could make it for you know really cheap. Like that's not—it's a—that is the commodity, right? So you're like. Yeah, super beautiful design and and functionality and things like that for certain use cases, like absolutely. But like you know, for the for the vast majority of you know, internet traffic, it's more about the interconnectedness between your website experience than it is about you know the physical site, uh, for example. And again, that doesn't mean that. It just means that certain agencies get cut out based off of like. You know, how they're doing that. And I think it just goes back to this idea of like the integrated campaign that you talked about, the holistic approach. Like everything has to be connected. Your ad campaigns all have to, it all has to, uh, to go together. And when you have like a million different agencies and you don't know where one stops and the other begins, it's like, Hey, wait, which agency was supposed to update the website pages for this? Or like, who's, are you doing the design for this or whatever? It's like all of that stuff creates little areas for friction and people to fall through the cracks. And those people are, you're spending all this money to get them onto your website. And now they're like not talking to anyone or having any meaningful engagements or sales can't follow up or they're not in a drip campaign or whatever it is. Is.
0: everything becomes a commodity over time and i think we're seeing that with some services right now um you still have some customized service offerings and things that are very um dynamic but uh you're right you know throw the website in for free now um so that web design uh whether you call it product service um certainly uh like website support as a service all that stuff is is a commodity now, so just shop it on price. Experiences will have that same uh, pressure applied in years to come, but that's not the case today. What's happening today is that sophisticated marketers that are doing this well and crafting an experience are standing out from the noise because I know that you know me when I when I have that experience and it's personalized and it's timed well and you're actually. Not bothering me by interrupting my day with a crappy ad that I don't care about. You're giving me value in the in the touch point in the exchange. That's a differentiator. At some point, that will become commoditized as well. So we have to continually kind of cannibalize our own processes in order to build the new thing and the better thing. But um, we, you know, we started this conversation by talking about how rapidly things are changing all the time. Um, we're at a point in time on a long spectrum. And, uh, I think that's one of the things I love about marketing though, is it is constantly evolving and working with smart people who are able to roll with those changes and really understand how to adapt and be creative within those constraints of change has been a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to more of that. I'm sure you see that with the number of people that you talk to. I mean, what a, what an incredible seat for you to sit in and gain perspective from, uh, people that are having that same type of uh, journey along the spectrum.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just an exciting time to be a marketer. It's super complex. It's more complex than ever. And, uh, and there's more channels than ever. And, uh, there's more, uh, you know, more rope to, uh, you know, to, to get yourself in trouble with than ever. Um, but that's what allow the best marketing teams to, to really thrive. Um, Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Salesforce.com slash marketing. They've been with us since the very beginning. Check them out if you haven't already. Lightning round questions. Nick, are you ready? Yes, let's do it. Number one, what is a habit or skill that you've picked up during shelter in place?
0: (laughs) Um, a mountain bike mechanic.
1: (laughs) That's pretty good. Uh, what job would you be doing if you weren't a CMO? Oh, you know, I don't know if I could do it.
0: (laughs) What I would want to do. I would love to be an organic farmer. (laughs) Uh, I can't grow anything. So I try to grow businesses, but
1: I would love to be an organic farmer and do my job you're currently in bozeman montana uh and place near and dear to our heart uh later on today when you go into montana trout fitters what's the <laughs> thing that you need to get at the store is it a, is it a hat for your uh for your uh 19 haircut that you got going on or what are we looking at
0: yeah i think i'm gonna buy a hat and send it to you you said you had one but you lost it so i'll, I'll pick up a trout fitter hat for you today and send it over. <laughs> Uh, that's good And uh, these guys um, should um i'm expecting something trout fitters, if you guys are listening uh we're plugging you today just keep that in mind yeah
1: yeah no that's exactly right um we uh we definitely uh i've been outfitted before uh i've been i've been trout fitted before uh <laughs> by them okay so uh do you have a best piece of advice for a first time cmo
0: Don't ask for permission. My piece of advice for really, I'd say anybody, seniority helps with a level of comfortability here. (laughs) But um, I think when people ask you to do a job and the expectations and the measurements are clear, uh, then do it, don't ask for permission.
1: What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? You know, I have a few friends, every
0: time I talk to them, they say, what can I do for you today? And I think that's very specific. It's very, it's an interesting way to phrase it. And if I'm honest, it always makes me uncomfortable when, when I'm asked that question, but I wish more people would ask, what can I do for you today? Uh, And it's led me to try to ask that question more. Um, I think the world would be a better place.
1: Awesome. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today, Nick. I appreciate you coming on um, and taking some time out. Uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? I think it's
0: been, been great. It's been fun. I uh, appreciate the opportunity.
1: Awesome. Thanks again and, uh, and take care. Thank you too.
2: Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com marketing.